Tonight's scripture reading comes from Acts chapter 2, verse 47. Again, that's Acts chapter 42, or chapter 2, verse 47. And it reads, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and let the Lord add to the church daily who those were being saved. Thank you, Trent, for reading our scripture. We are going to conclude tonight our series of lessons on what is right with the Church of Christ. And I hope that what has been said the last few weeks has been helpful to you. It has been a privilege to preach these lessons, and I hope, hope and pray that you will share these lessons with your friends and neighbors. If you have family members or friends who are not members of the church and they want to know more about the Church of Christ, feel free to share these lessons with them. We would love to study with them and show them what the Bible has to say about the Church of Christ. If you're visiting tonight, we welcome you. We're so grateful that you're here. I know that it's a holiday week. The next couple of weeks, people are going to be coming and going, and we've got a lot of folks out tonight. And so we pray for safe journeys and hope to be back safe and sound here again very, very soon. We've got, what, one more Sunday, two more Sundays before the new year? One more. And so we're closing out 2019 and 2020 is upon us, and we hope and pray that we can make 2020 the best year ever. I want to invite you to think with me tonight as we conclude our series of studies on what's right with the Church of Christ. Tonight, in a sense, is a summation of what we have been talking about. And what I want us to do tonight is talk about the Church of Christ is right in her proclamation. And this has to do with our preaching and teaching. We understand, as we said this morning, that Jesus gave the Great Commission. In Mark 16, 15, Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus would say, Go therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We have the unique responsibility of sharing the greatest message known to man, and that is the purity of the gospel. The gospel or the message that we share is a liberating message. It has the ability to set people free from the bondage of sin. As Jesus said in John 8, verse 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The importance of truth is recognized in what Jesus said in John 17, 17. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And Paul would say to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, before departing this life, Paul said, preach the word. We do so in anticipation that the gospel will find a home in honest and good hearts. Isaiah said in Isaiah 55, God's Word would not return to him void. And so as I think about the responsibility that rests upon us 
to recognize that people in this world, because of sin, are separated from God. And they need to know something about Jesus. Our goal is to lead people to the Son of God, to lead people to the cross. And so in our preaching and teaching, we lift up the Christ. We lift up Jesus, don't we? Because as the angel said many, many centuries ago, speaking of the birth of Jesus, Jesus, of course, born of the Virgin Mary, and the angel said to her, or said to Joseph, rather, that she would bring forth a son, and his name would be called Jesus, and he would save his people from their sins. And so to share Jesus with a lost and dying world, when you think about the charge that was given by Jesus before he ascended to heaven, and the fact that the early church took to heart that charge, and you can read in the book of Acts of the church growing by leaps and bounds, I think really in Acts chapter 8, in verse 4, we have somewhat of a summation of the work of those first century pioneers. The Bible says of those who were scattered abroad as a result of persecution, that they went everywhere preaching the Word. And the reason they preached the gospel of Christ, because they believed inherent in that message was the ability to save the lost. In verse 5, the Bible says that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and there preached Christ unto them. And so we preach Christ and we preach the cross of Christ, don't we? To lift up the cross, I think about what Jesus said in John chapter 12, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto myself. The drawing power of the cross for people to recognize that Jesus came to earth that he gave himself for our sins. The vicarious suffering and death of Jesus, God's only begotten Son. The fact that Paul would say to the church at Corinth that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried, and on the third day he rose again. The triumph of Jesus and his resurrection. And because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have, or we live today, in hope, in anticipation of one day being raised from the dead, don't we? So we have, we have tremendous charge, a tremendous responsibility. I want to just very quickly sum up what we've been talking about, and I'm not going to go over everything that we've said thus far. But when I think about the responsibility that we have as New Testament Christians to preach and teach, to share the greatest message known to man, that's the gospel. Our plea is a simple plea. Our plea to people around us is to just be a New Testament Christian, to be a member of the church that we read about in Scripture. We have said before, and I would reiterate the fact, that the church that we read about in Scripture is non-denominational. It is pre-denominational. The origination of the church is spoken of over and over again in the Bible. And we have said that the church of Christ is right because of her origination. Jesus promised to build the church in Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Jesus promised to build the church 
that would ultimately belong to Him. He paid the price for the church with His divine blood, according to Acts chapter 20, verse 28. And Paul would write in Ephesians 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. The church exists today because of God's eternal plan and as a result of Jesus building that church and buying it with His blood. He is the founder of the church of Christ. The church of Christ was founded by no man, not Alexander Campbell, not Barton W. Stone, not any one individual, but rather Jesus laid claim to building the church. And so the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, not only is Jesus the founder of the church, but He is the foundation. Paul would say, other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. And so when you look at the New Testament church, and you think about our plea to people in the world around us, we're asking people to become a member of the church that we can read about in Scripture, aren't we? And we use as a template, as a pattern, the New Testament. I think about the church of Christ and all the blessings that reside in Christ. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul said every spiritual blessing resides in Christ Jesus. In the six chapters of the book of Ephesians, that phrase, in Christ or its equivalent, is found 35 times, which says to all of us, there is something unique and very special about being in Christ Jesus. And so we talk about the church of Christ is right in her origination. The church of Christ is also right in her salvation. When we talk to people around us and we try to convert people to the cause of Christ, our goal is to convert people to Christ. We're not trying to get people to be converted to a preacher or to a building, but rather to Jesus and to His teaching and His ways. And so in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost Day, we have Peter and the other apostles preaching the gospel for the very first time. Those people who had assembled in Jerusalem nearly 2,000 years ago after hearing the gospel of Christ in its purity and in its fullness for the very first time were convicted. And they cried out unto Peter and the rest of the apostles and they wanted to know, men and brethren, what shall we do? What Peter told them to do is exactly what we tell people to do today. And the reason we point people in that direction is because Peter was an inspired apostle. Those who preached the gospel on Pentecost Day, they were endowed with the miraculous. They spoke as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so they, they had been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven, according to Matthew 16 and verse 19. Keys signifying authority. And the fact that they took the keys to the kingdom and they opened the doors to the kingdom of God. So when they wanted to know, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Salvation, as you well know, is in Christ Jesus. He is the only Savior of mankind. When we talk about salvation and the hope of heaven, it rests upon the Lord Jesus. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but, my, but by me. Luke records in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If people are going to be saved today, they've got to be saved by Jesus, don't they? And His cleansing blood. And so the beauty of what we teach and preach, the fact that we point people to what the Bible has to say, we don't have to think so, we don't have to guess about salvation, but rather we can go and say, this is exactly what the Bible says to do. If we do what they did in the first century, we become what they became. And what is that? Simply members of the body of Christ, the church. They obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were baptized into Christ. When they were baptized into Jesus, they contacted the cleansing power of the blood of the only begotten Son of God. The only way people can be saved is to contact the blood. Paul wrote in Ephesians 1, 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, John said unto Him who loved us and washed us or loosed us from our sins. By what? By His blood. The cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. The only thing that can wash away the stain and the shame of sin is the blood of Jesus. That's why Ananias said to Saul of Tarsus, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. When we are baptized into Christ, we contact the blood of Christ, and we are added to the body of Christ. It's just that simple. The passage that was read a moment ago, Acts 2, verse 47. In verse 41, the Bible says, some 3,000 people obeyed the gospel on Pentecost Day. Verse 47 says, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. What did they do to be saved? They believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter had preached the gospel. They repented of their sins. They were baptized into Christ. And God put them in the church, the body. You mean to tell me then I've got to be a member of the body of Christ, the church, to go to heaven? Well, Paul said he is the Savior of the body, Ephesians 5, 23. When we're baptized into Christ, Paul said we are baptized into the one body, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. Simultaneously, when we are baptized, we enjoy the remission of sins, we contact the blood of Christ, and we are added to the body of Christ. It's that easy. So you go back to the first century, and we talk about what's right with the church of Christ. The cause that we plead. The church of Christ is right in her origination. The church of Christ is right in salvation. We are pointing people to what the Bible has to say. When people obey the gospel, they become members of the body of Christ. So had we been living in the first century and somebody came up to us on the corner of the street and asked us, by the way, what, what church do you belong to? What would we have said? We just said, we belong to the church. If somebody had asked, well, what church? What, what church do you belong to? Well, just the church. There is no other church. When we talk about the church of Christ is right in her identification. Because when I look at what the Bible says, some 95 times I read of the word church, the ecclesia, the called out. The church is the community of the saved. 
We've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have been delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. It is only in the church that people enjoy redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to Colossians 1, 13 and 14. So when we obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, we belong to the church. What church? Just the church. Now the Bible speaks of the church some 95 times. 68 times we can read about the kingdom of heaven. You remember in Matthew 4, 17, Jesus said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Mark 9, verse 1, we read about the kingdom of God. So we have the church, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Did you know that I can read about the churches of Christ in Romans 16, 16? I am well aware of the fact that many people in the world today lay claim to the fact that the church of Christ began under, under the superintendence of Thomas and Alexander Campbell. That they were the founders of the church. That is not so. I'm not a Campbellite. I'm not a Paulite. I belong to the church that Jesus died and purchased with His blood. What I'm pleading for people to do is to simply become a New Testament Christian. To wear the name of Christ. The church belongs to Jesus. It ought to wear His name. That's why we identify as members of the church. That's why we say we are members of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the church of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, I read about the church of God. These are biblical names. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, I read about the house of the living God. That's the church. So individually, if somebody were to ask me, okay, what are you? I am not Church of Christ. Sometimes I hear people say that. I'm not Church of Christ. I am a member of the Church of Christ. Specifically speaking, when we talk about identifying the church that we read about in Scripture, collectively there are terms that are used, as we've said before. Specifically, we read about believers in Acts 5.14, don't we? I can read about disciples in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Followers of the way, Acts chapter 9, verse 2. I read about the name Christian in Acts chapter 11, verse 26. Those of us who belong to the family of God, we are identified as saints in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2. We are members, Colossians 1, verse 2. We're just members of the body of Christ, aren't we? So if somebody were to ask you, ask me, what are you? I'm a member of the church that you can read about in Scripture. I'm not asking you to be a, a part of a church that, that had its origin by mankind. I'm not asking you to be a part of a body that was started by some group of people here upon planet Earth. I'm asking you to become a member of the church that we read about in Scripture. That's a noble plea, isn't it? And you think about how many people in our world today have no idea what the Bible teaches about the church of Christ. Some have heard about the church of Christ, and sadly some have heard disparaging marks about the church of Christ. But our plea is a simple plea. So when we talk about, when we talk about what's right with the church of Christ, 
The church of Christ is right in her origination. She is right in what she teaches about salvation. She is right in what she teaches about her identification. She is right in terms of her authorization. There are a lot of churches here on planet Earth that have a headquarters. They have maybe a synod, or they have a governing body here upon, upon Earth. Our headquarters is in heaven, isn't it? When we talk about the church of Jesus Christ and the authority of Christ, we have no creed but Christ. So when we pick up this book, we're trying, we're trying to follow what Scripture says, aren't we? And so when we talk about the authority of Christ, we're saying that we want to follow the Bible. That this is the last will and testament of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever he says, we want to do. Jesus said, all authority, all power has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Paul said, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, by his authority. So that means when we tell somebody what to do to become a Christian, we're doing it by the authority of Christ. When we ask somebody to identify with the church of Christ, we're doing it by the authority of the Lord, aren't we? When we talk about the identifying marks of the church, identifying terms, again, we go back to what? We go back to the Bible. The church of Christ is right in her authorization because we're appealing to what the Bible says. Now you think about the church of Christ is also right in her organization. I said a moment ago, we have no earthly headquarters. For that matter, we have no earthly head, do we? When I pick up the New Testament, I don't read anything. And I'm not saying this in a disparaging way. But nowhere in Scripture do I read about a papacy. I don't read anything about an archbishop. I can't find in the Scripture anything about a college of cardinals. I don't read anything about a one-man pastoral system. Why? Because that is foreign to the New Testament. So again, isn't it, isn't it the case that we want to go back to the Bible? Didn't Peter say, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God? Shouldn't we be able to identify what we believe by book, chapter, and verse? Shouldn't we be able to point people to the Scriptures? Now, organizationally speaking, when you look at the church of Christ, there is one body and one head. That is the biblical template for the church. The Bible says He is the head of the body of the church. That's Christ, which is the beginning. That means Jesus is the active cause. He is the source from which the church began. So the church we're talking about has Jesus as the head. We're the body. He's the good shepherd. We're the sheep. He is the bridegroom, we are the bride. So as we think about the organizational structure of the church, now think about this. When we talk to our friends and neighbors, we can go to the Bible and say, look, it's very easy. The Bible says there's one head, there's one body. The Bible says in a local setting, congregations are autonomous, self-governing. 
overseen by a group of men who serve as elders. They meet the criterion that is laid down in Scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 3, in Titus chapter 1. We also read of individuals who functioned as deacons in the Lord's church. And we read about the qualifications set forth for them in 1 Timothy chapter 3, 8 through 13. We read of evangelists in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. We don't read anything about a one-man pastoral system. I'm not a pastor. We have elders. We have elders. We have deacons. The Lord Jesus Christ, He is the chief shepherd. We have shepherds. He is the chief shepherd. All of us who have obeyed the gospel, we're just members of the church, identified as saints, as priests of God. We belong to the body of Christ. And so we're asking people to become a part of the church that we read about in Scripture. We said in terms of operation, the church of Christ is right in her operation. The church is intended to be a vehicle to lead people to Christ, isn't it? As I said this morning, the mission of the church is the Great Commission. Our goal is to evangelize, to lead people to Jesus, to talk to them about the one who came and lived and died for their sins, to let people know that there is a way out of sin and unrighteousness, that there is a better way of life, that God's Word can bring happiness and joy and contentment to our lives, to let people know that there's something better than just the here and now, the world, to point people in the direction of heaven. And so we're involved in the work of the church. We evangelize, we edify, we engage in acts of benevolence. And all of the things that we do, we do in an effort to bring people to Jesus, don't we? That's the goal. Now, I want you to think about something. When we talk about our plea, the plea of Scripture, the plea that we have is, just be a New Testament Christian. Become a part of the, of the church that you read about right here in the Bible. There's a difference in a man-made organization and a heaven-made organization. Would you agree? There's a difference in the church that was built by Jesus and churches that have been built by men. Now again, I'm not trying to disparage anyone. I do not want to, to come across as caustic or arrogant. But we need to be very honest about what the Bible has to say. So when we plead to our friends and our neighbors, I know that there are a lot of folks in the world today, what they've heard about the church of Christ, sadly, is not true. A lot of folks will tell you the church of Christ began as a result of the work, as I said a moment ago, of Thomas and Alexander Campbell. There are many people that have become prejudiced towards the church. Years ago, a friend of mine studied with a lady, a very sweet lady, and she was quite elderly, and she was a member of a denomination. And they went through a series of lessons. When they got to the close of the lesson, of the lessons, when it was time to make a decision, here's what she said. 
I made a deathbed promise to my mother that I would never go in the church of Christ. It is my conviction today, it was my conviction then, and this lady has long since departed into eternity. If her mother could have spoken to her, she would have said, go in the Lord's church. You know, when I think about parents today, most of us, most of us as parents, we want what's best for our children, don't we? And it, it might be the case that our parents were not privileged to have the information that we possess today. Maybe they never heard about the New Testament church. Maybe what they heard about the church of Christ was skewed, a misrepresentation. I really believe Mothers and fathers, mamas and daddies, they want the absolute best for their children. I have seen the sacrifices, the blood, the sweat, the tears of mamas and daddies that have done their best to give their children something better than what they had. And I am convinced that mamas and daddies that may not have obeyed the gospel because they had not they did not have the privilege of hearing the truth as we have. They would want their children to obey the gospel. I say that because you might be here tonight. And maybe your parents long ago said to you, don't have anything to do with the church of Christ. It might be that you feel like you would be going against the wishes and the will of your parents that you wouldn't be honoring them, I promise you that's not the case. You remember Jesus said in Luke 14, if any man hate not, love less, mother, father, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, he said, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What are you saying, Lord? What Jesus is saying is, if we're going to serve him, if we're going to live for him, we have to love him supremely. That means we've got to love him above our mamas and our daddies. Our spouses, our siblings, our children. We have to love him supremely. And so, my plea to the world today is obey the gospel. Look, when we talk about the gospel of Christ and the church, and, and everything that we've been dealing with the past several weeks, what we've been saying and what we've been talking about, it is as easy as ABC, as simple as one, two, three, two plus two equals four. It's that easy. I don't want anyone to leave here or to listen to these lessons and not understand that we can just be a New Testament Christian. We can be a member of the body of Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. If somebody asks me, what are you? I can tell you what I am. I'm a Christian. I'm a disciple. A disciple is a learner, a follower of Jesus. That's what I am. Am I perfect? Absolutely not. Do I make mistakes? You better believe it. But I try. I try to walk in the light. Sometimes 
Sometimes I disappoint myself. Sometimes I could do better. But I understand I'm just a human being. The Lord does not expect perfection, does He? All He asks is that we walk in the light as He is in the light. And the assurance is that if we walk in that light, if we're striving to the best of our ability to walk and live for Jesus every day, the blood of His Son continually cleanses us from all sins. I really hope that what's been said has been beneficial to you. It's helped me. And if we're going to reach the world for Christ, we've got to understand we have a unique message. It is one of a kind. It's the greatest message known to man. It's the only message that will set people free from the burden of sin. And so to see people embrace this message and to just become a New Testament Christian. It's a wonderful thing. Years ago, when I was just a young fella, I like to think that I'm young today, but when I was really a young fella, I was an associate preacher working with a church in Nashville. And there was a there was a young girl that young, well, really, I guess a young lady. She was in her 20s at the time. She studied with a friend of mine who was the pulpit preacher, and she obeyed the gospel. And so she wanted me to talk to her, to talk to her daddy about Jesus. And so one day they came into my office. It was about this time of year, late December. And we began talking. And during the course of our conversation, I tried to encourage him to become a Christian, to become a member of the church. And he said, you know, I really think that once we get through the new year, I'll be ready to, to, to settle down and become a Christian. I never will forget, his daughter looked over at her, at her dad, and she said to him, she said, you know, if you will become a Christian, that would be the greatest Christmas present you could ever give me. With that little nudge, he obeyed the gospel. The reason I tell you that story is because he never lived to see the new year. He was killed in an automobile accident just a couple of days before the new year. We don't know when this world's going to come to an end. We don't know when our life's going to come to an end. But if we know what the truth is, and we know what the Bible teaches, and we understand that we're going to stand before God and give an account of the deeds that we have done here, don't you think it stands to reason to be ready? To be ready to meet the Lord? Let me tell you what, when I conducted that man's service, it, it was sad, yes, because he died tragically. But, look, he went to be with the Lord. He was a saved, cleansed, redeemed child of God. He is in the presence of God today because of a decision he made over 20 years ago. You can make that same decision tonight. 
you can become a New Testament Christian. To join hands with us. To become what we are and what are we. We're just members of the church that we read about in Scripture. Followers of Jesus. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, won't you do what they did 2,000 years ago? And I can promise you this, if you do what they did, you will become what they were. And if you will live a steadfast life in Christ Jesus, one day you'll hear the Lord say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. It'll be worth it. There's a song that we sing. A friend of mine used to love it. The stanza reads, Just one glimpse of Him in glory will all the toils of life repay. Are you ready to meet Jesus? Are you a part of His body tonight as we stand and sing?